KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. This week, I'm digging into the archives for a nostalgic piece I did way back in 1992, all about drive-ins. The piece ran on a KPBS program called These Days and was produced with the help of Danny Shapiro and Martin Lopez. San Diego still has the South Bay and Santee drive-ins, and drive-ins still maintain a certain mystique in America's pop culture landscape. So I hope you'll enjoy the show. I pulled a lot of clips from movies and from drive-in advertisements. And one woman even reveals a drive-in memory that many teenagers may share. Once again, I remind you that I do sound different in some of these old archive shows. So to usher you into December, here's my tribute to the American drive-in. Welcome to your favorite drive-in theater and a sparkling new season. Watch our screen and local newspapers for all the fine shows coming this way. These days in San Diego, I'm Dan Irwin. The drive-in theater is a uniquely American institution that enjoyed its heyday in the late 40s and 50s. But like the large screen theater, the drive-in faces hard times now, and some think it may disappear altogether before the turn of the century. Today, These Days film critic Beth Accomando takes an extended look at the past, present, and future of the drive-in theater. I'll take this one itself. Two adults from ten. The sun's just about to set, and the large white screen looms blankly over the lot. Some horns honk as impatient viewers decide that it's dark enough for the film to start. When the projectionist finally agrees with them, he turns the projector lamps on, and an image begins to flicker on the screen. It's showtime. It's larger than life, and surrounded by the night and the stars. I can remember being bundled in my PJs into the back seat of the car with my older brothers, and my parents would take us to the drive-in. The man she had loved was merely the hollow shell for the invaders from outer space. Well, it's a part of American folklore, you know, this whole uh, post-war baby boom, Eisenhower era mystique. Uh, th that was part of it. I think it was very popular for many people. You are now inside a flying saucer. Our destination, the planet Earth. We are the Mysterian. Our race is old, dying, our planet dead. Only you of Earth, you and your women, can give us life. They were usually young kids, right? They called the Passion Pit. Danny, get off me! Sandy, what's the matter with you? I, I thought it meant something to you. To you? You think I'm gonna stay here with you in this, this sin wagon? You can take this piece of tin? Sandy, you just can't walk out of a drive-in! And then when you finally got to a point where you had your own car, where you could do that scene on your own, you know, that was a pretty powerful thing, you know, to go to the drive-in with a date, with the opportunity of getting your arm around her. Mr. Engelson, I understand that you were at the local drive-in theater the other night. Any law against going to the movies? You were 16, you just got your license. What, what, what a perfect place to go is go to the drive-in and, and meet your friends there. 
plus watch a movie too i'm sure <laughs> you know i think it's definitely um something that people will look back on in the history books and go wow what's this all about what's everybody running from? it's the end of everything what do you mean drive-ins they're like portals in time pass through their gates and it's like being transported back in time drive-ins haven't changed much in their 60-year history the biggest innovation was probably replacing the car speakers with radio sound, where the movie soundtrack comes over your car radio. Yet those speaker poles still stand in their regimented rows, firmly refusing to acknowledge that they no longer serve any purpose. And the audiences haven't changed much either. You still find young families with their kids and young lovers with steamed windshields. Would she touch the body of this masquerading alien? who wanted to learn the secrets of human love. Drive-ins have won a unique place in our popular culture, in part because they managed to marry America's love of the movies with its love of cars. By the mid-50s, more than 5,000 drive-ins dotted the American landscape. The big boom came after the war, when people were moving to the suburbs and buying new cars and having more children. It was basically, I think, a babysitting device. David Elliott is film critic for the San Diego Union-Tribune. Basically, it was pre-video. People could sit and watch a movie and talk to each other and eat conspicuously and, you know, get up and go, and it didn't bother anyone else because you're in your car. But are drive-ins heading the way of the dinosaurs? Will they merely become a quaint tradition that we tell our kids about? That possibility worries John Chilson, who's editor of Schlock, the newsletter of lowbrow cinema. I went to um, the downtown public library a couple of days ago, and... Um, Xerox um, movie ads from I think it was October of 62 and October of 57 and the, the drive-in list is, is huge and you look in the paper today and there's like three or four left and they're, 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 they're disappearing at a fast rate. For David Elliott it represents the passing of a particular kind of film experience. It's sad to see it go because it does represent a kind of um, a very comfortable easygoing kind of entertainment. People love piling into cars and going and sitting and waiting for the sky to, to darken and then suddenly the movie starts and there were always cartoons and usually way back there were newsreels and things. And it was, a, it was just a, a real uh, evening uh, worth of cheap entertainment. One San Diegan who knows about drive-ins is projectionist Dick Kaldoff. He installed the Midway, which was the first drive-in theater in San Diego and he worked at many of the other local drive-ins over the years. They flashed lights on the screen too when they, before the show. They went, let's get going, start the movie, you know, and we're waiting until it gets dark. Kaldoff also recalls working with Kenny Gallion, the owner of the Midway Drive-In. Uh, he lived in the screen tower. Uh, they had uh, an apartment there, and he had this Cadillac. He would park it at the screen tower, and when it's time for him to go to work, he'd jump in his car and, and drive to the back of the lot where the projection room was. And now, before the next show starts, let's enjoy an intermission. The drive-ins would run 10-minute intermission films in order to gain extra revenue. And they were the first theaters to make use of this kind of on-screen advertising. Kaldoff even saved one of the intermission films that ran for a year at the Midway. The show starts in seven minutes. Uh, over there at the Midway, they contracted with local merchants where they would advertise their product on the screen during intermission. You know, uh, Midway Chuck Wagon, all you can eat, 229, stuff like that. Midnight Roundup at the Midway Chuck Wagon. It's the top. 
When people think about drive-ins, many can't remember specific films they saw, yet everyone recalls the experience. John Chilson says that the experience of going to the drive-in was more important than what film was playing. Going to a regular theater, you know, I we would, you know, look through the paper every week to see what's playing at the Palm Theater. Like, oh yeah, that's coming. All right, we gotta go. Like Trog. I remember seeing the trailer for Trog, and it scared the heck out of me. It's like, gotta see it. You know, gotta see Omega Man. Gotta see those early '70s stuff. But the drive-in was just like, yeah, we're going to the drive-in. You know, we can, you know, cruise around and you know check it out and whatever. You know, because it was night. After dark was just kind of like taboo. When it was dark, you know, your parents called you in. And the drive-in, it was at night. We can just be outside and just you know screwing around and doing kid stuff. Helen, who grew up while the drive-ins were still enjoying great popularity, went to drive-ins regularly. First as a kid with her parents, and later as a teenager with her friends. She recalls that each of the San Diego drive-ins seemed to cater to a different crowd. There were certain drive-ins, like the Two View drive-in, was the one that all the kids went to because they carried all the horror movies and the science fiction movies and. I think the campus drive-in tried to appeal more to families. They carried like Walt Disney movies or, you know, the, the Nutty Professor, that type of thing when I was a kid. John Chilson also grew up in San Diego and frequented the local drive-ins. I can remember going to the, um, the Big Sky down in, um, what was I, it wasn't IB, it was like Chula Vista, and going to uh, um, South Bay drive-in. It used to be just one drive-in and we'd go there. Um, I mean, I remember the trailers the most from the movies that were upcoming. Those were really cool. Incredible is the word for the world's first monster musical. See in magnificent Eastman color the daring, dancing, enticing, and horrifying. The incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. Look into the hypnotic eye. on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? Driving movies now, I've, I've noticed in the ads, it's, it's more of the top ten contemporary Hollywood stuff, but in the 60s and 70s, I think it was the, the dredges, the sleazy stuff, you know, I was a teenage dot dot dot, or, um, you know, invasion of the dot dot dot, and they usually just throw two of these together, which were great. I mean, they, they made them cheap. And, and they did what they were supposed to do. People would bring kids to the, to the drive-in in droves. On August 10th, in a California drive-in, it all began. It will grip you like nothing you have ever witnessed before. The fear that makes brave men run will freeze you in your seat, make your blood run cold, and finally make you scream in terror. Warning. Drive-in massacre has been deemed too terrifying for the average viewer. The risk is entirely yours. Initially, the studios tried to ignore the drive-ins by denying them first-run releases. As a result, drive-ins turned to westerns and series-type pictures and later relied heavily on low-budget exploitation films made by people like Roger Corman. David Elliott describes what the situation was like. Drive-ins were generally, I think except for maybe a few markets, were B-movie outlets. It was really one of the things that kind of showed that the, the coming death of movie entertainment as we used to know it, because it did break up the audience, even though you're there in a, f a field of cars. You are kind of isolated to a degree, and uh, it's not really the full experience you get from sitting in a big dark theater. 
Um, but it had its own charms, and it, when anything charming vanishes, uh, which they tend to do, then they become instant nostalgia. The nostalgic power of the drive-in is still a potent force. While the number of drive-ins may be declining, interest in the type of movies that have come to symbolize the drive-in is still strong. Joe Bob Briggs, the self-proclaimed authority on drive-ins, hosts a weekly tribute to the genre with his drive-in theater on the movie channel. He even awards Golden Hubbies, or Hubcap Awards, to contemporary films worthy of the drive-in genre. You can even rent a line of drive-in classics from the local video store. Remember those starry nights when all your favorites were up on the silver screen? Now, those nights are back to drive a whole new generation wild. For the first time on home video, RCA Columbia presents Drive-In Classics. It's what I've been predicting for years. Joe Bob defines the genre as being made up of three types of movies, blood, breast, and beast films. For John Chilson, there's also a definite formula for the perfect drive-in movie. I don't think the plot's very important for a drive-in movie because no one's paying attention, but it's got to have gratuitous violence, gratuitous sex, lots of gore. Plus, if it's made before 1971, that's even better. <laughs> the golden age of exploitation, I think. You'll feel the heart-stopping strength of the most fearful monster ever known. You think you're going to make a slave of the world? I'll see you in hell first! It conquered the world. David Elliott sees all this interest in drive-in movies as part of a nostalgia kick. You know, the kish excitement about old films, especially from the 50s and 60s, the beach pictures, which were not strictly made for drive-ins in most cases, but many of them had their best uh, commercial uh, chances in drive-ins. And uh, that kind of movie was, you, you, you saw more of them in drive-ins, so it kind of added to the peculiar kind of uh, slumming excitement of going there. Uh, now there are hardly any B-movie theaters left, and the death of the drive-ins is another symptom of that. Here's a choice of food and drink to satisfy anyone and everyone. You'll find something to please you to add to your evening's enjoyment. Something to please all tastes and age groups. The full-fledged snack bar, where you could find more than just popcorn and soda, was another novelty the drive-in pioneered. Hiya, hiya, hiya! You'll go for that mouth-watering, taste-tempting, meaty shrimp mixture all wrapped up in a crispy noodle jacket. It's a treat you can't beat. They're shrimply delicious. But for Helen, the food was less memorable than the snack bar itself. The snack bar seemed like a bunker in World War II or something. It was this flat little box, you know, stuck in the middle of the, uh, this vast parking lot of cars. And it always was grungy, and your feet always stuck to the floor when you went in there. And, you know, the hot dogs always looked terrible, but you ate them anyway. Hello, young lovers, whoever you are. We're glad the love bug caught up with you, but we must insist that you do not allow his bite to affect your conduct while in this theater. Public demonstration of affection will not be tolerated. Enough said? While the drive-ins insisted that they were founded for young families, they soon evolved into passion pits where young teens would go to escape the watchful eyes of their parents. How do you like this title? The, uh, the behavior pattern of the young adult and its relation to primitive tribes. I've got a shorter title. What's that? Teenage sex. The drive-in quickly drew criticism from pulpits across America. 
Helen recalls her parents' reaction. They weren't too crazy about me going out, especially as a young teenager. You know, when you're when you're dating a boy that just has his license and they know you're going to go to the movies and they know it's not going to be a walk-in theater, it's going to be a drive-in. Wake up, please, Susie, wake up. Wake up, please, Susie, wake up. The most vivid memory that I have of the drive-in, obviously, is, which is probably typical of somebody my age, is I lost my virginity at the Alvarado Drive-In in 1970, and the movie just happened to be Tora, Tora, Tora. My boyfriend of the time had a van, and we'd been going out for quite a while, and just seemed to be the best thing that could happen that night. And I've never, I can't remember another movie I've seen at the drive-in, and obviously I didn't really see that movie, but I've never forgotten the title, Tora, Tora, Tora. Alert, all commands. Air raid, Pearl Harbor. It's really kind of sad that kids nowadays, they don't have those kind of memories. They don't have a place like that to go. The Harbor Drive-In is one of San Diego's four remaining drive-ins, and it typifies some of the problems that such theaters face. The Harbor Drive-In, located in National City, was taken over by a new owner this year, and it had to be cleaned up and repaired. According to Lucy, the theater's manager, business has picked up slowly over the summer. And next year, the theater hopes to buy a neon marquee to attract more crowds. Lucy said that comedies drew the most consistent crowds, but the theater's biggest success was Edward James Almos's American Me. The film was popular with the heavily Hispanic crowds in the South Bay. On its best nights, the film brought in 250 cars and proved that the drive-in can still be a vital part of the community. My mother was a beautiful woman. They were pachucos, zoot suitors, and proud of it. In June of 1943, America was at war, not only overseas, but with itself. As these remaining drive-ins struggle to survive, a number of other movie venues have been popping up. There's the Sunset Cinema, where films are projected on a barge while viewers watch from the beach. Café Cinema, which plans to run experimental films and videos, and the Garden Cinema, an outdoor theater on Goldfinch, where you can sit at tables and sip Italian sodas as you watch a diverse selection of films. Doug Yeagley, founder of the Garden Cinema, sees a link between his theater and the drive-ins of his youth. I think it brings that uh, late 50s, 60s kind of a thing, which is what drive-ins used to be about. I mean, that was a social gathering where your whole family for instance, could get together and everybody went to the drive-in. I mean, that was like the major night out. Ralph DeLauro, film programmer for the Garden Cinema, doesn't exactly mourn the passing of the drive-ins, but he did note that if they were to disappear completely, teenagers would be missing one thing. A good place to make love away from mom and dad. Um, there's something just very 
unique and very original about being outdoors. I don't know whether it's the, the combination of, of, of the sky and the air and the stars and, and uh, the crickets and you know your, your, what you consider your outdoor other world. I just think that um, it, I think it puts people in a much uh, more peaceful, more meditative, more receptive kind of spot and I think there's just something intrinsically soul-cleansing about being outdoors. The management of this drive-in theater is happy to announce you can enjoy your favorite form of movie entertainment regardless of rain. Now you can keep your windshield clear and dry with a drizzle guard. Simply attach it to your windshield and in a jiffy you're enjoying the movie without constantly running your windshield wipers. So next time it rains, don't sizzle in a drizzle. Even for those people who are not devotees, the drive-in still seems to conjure up good memories of family and friends. As a movie venue, the drive-in seems threatened by TV, video, and multiplexes. And as a meeting place for young teens, it's being replaced by shopping malls. Dick Kaldoff worries that the drive-in may not be the only movie venue facing extinction. Well, the way things are going, I don't think we're going to have any big theaters left either. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be drive-ins. No, uh, like today, people that go to the movies, they don't know anything other than this cattle shoot viewing, you know, those small theaters. They don't know what it's like to go in a big theater where you have this military atmosphere of all the ushers directing you down the aisle with a flashlight. Well, so long, Miss Mosey. Sorry, you're closing the show. Nobody wants to come to shows no more. Kid baseball in the summer, television all the time. Sam had lived, I, I believe we could have kept it going. I just didn't have the know-how. Won't be much to do in town with the picture show closed. The closing of the movie house in Peter Bogdanovich's last picture show signaled the end of an era, and the fate of the drive-in also seems to reflect the passing of an era. Yet drive-ins remain a potent force in our popular culture and stir strong memories in people. I can remember as a little kid, you know, they'd put us all in our pajamas and bundle us in the back seat of the car, and of course we fell asleep ten minutes into the movie, but it was, it's a good memory, something that we did as a family at the drive-in. You could see most of these movies if you wanted to in a, in a uh, traditional theater, but you went for the drive-in uh, kick. Hurry, or you'll be late for your own funeral informality you know you can come as you are that sort of thing and you're out in the open with these modern safe efficient in-car heaters this drive-in theater will now remain open all year round I just thought it was real intriguing to be able to do whatever you want in the comfort of your car and yet be able to watch a film it was just the, the whole environment it was like being at the circus these are the untamed of our world killers by instinct like the mountain lion Fanny, why don't you take the beating I gave you like a man? You know, there are always goofy things happening. You know, people tripping over the wires of their speaker systems and kids running around half naked and the mothers running after them and 
people going to the candy counter and uh, kind of coming back uh, looking like uh, Mardi Gras floats with all this stuff they had in their arms, you know, and all piles of stuff, and you knew if they ate it, they'd end up being, being sick. Golden pure creamery butter, rich, flavorful, satisfying. That's what it takes for the finest buttered popcorn, and that's what we use. See for yourself why there's no showtime treat to equal the crisp, delicious flavor of hot popcorn that's bathed in real melted butter. Watching a video, you can just sit in there and you watch it and you can fast forward it or you pause it or whatever and you're in there with a couple of friends, but I think of driving, it's, I, I don't know, I think they're missing out on the, the just being outside watching it, it's, it's a different experience. It gave people a, a kind of movie experience which maybe really did help create more of a feeling of uh, excitement and affection for movies. I think it's just the excitement of going too that they're going, I think they'll miss. Future generations are probably going to go, what? You know, you pull your car up and, and watch a movie in a, in a lot, that's, well, you know, are you crazy or something? While some people mourn the seemingly eminent demise of the drive-ins, other people like Joe Bob Briggs continue to insist that drive-ins will never die. In his bi-weekly newsletter, We Are the Weird, Briggs runs a column devoted to highlighting successful drive-ins. And each column ends with a rallying cry, with eternal vigilance, the drive-in will never die. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. If you're in a charitable holiday mood, please consider supporting this podcast by going to kpbs.org slash feedthejunkie. And you can receive a Cinema Junkie tote bag at the $60 donation level. Or if you're looking for something a little cheaper, just leave us a review on iTunes. Also note, the podcast will be going on break for the last two weeks of December. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.